I don't know if everyone fully understands who pays the tariffs. Like you, you slap a right. tariff on Chinese goods, and everyone thinks that you know the, the Chinese are paying it. But actually, we're paying it. The consumer is paying it. And because of that, businesses want to redirect their production. So it's a near-term hit to the U.S., but it's a longer-term hit to the Chinese. And I'm not sure everyone fully embraces that whole idea. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch, and I'm Ryan Dietrich. Hello, Ryan. Hi, John. How's everything going today? Pretty well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, John, as you know, you and I discussed, I was in New Orleans earlier this week, did some advisory events, met with some some advisors and had some fun down there. And I'll tell you, John, between you and me, I am still full. I ate a ton of food. That city is a blast. And the neat thing, I ate four different meals with advisors and different people. Every one of them was at this family, the Brennans. They own apparently all the nice restaurants. I was eating at a place called Ralph's on the Park. And someone's, oh, this is owned by Ralph Brennan. I was like, you're kidding me. Everywhere else I go is the Brennan's in the name. So I am still full. I love that city and love that food. Had a lot of good meetings and discussions with our LPL advisors. So anyway, but I'm still, um, I think I gained a lot of weight, so I got to work out a little bit, but it was worth it. Oh, well, like, like our listeners right now who are on the treadmill as they're listening, maybe you should hop on the treadmill. And yes, New Orleans is a great place, great restaurants, and uh, I guess... I guess perhaps the best, most secure job is a cardiologist in New Orleans when you think about all the, <laughs> you know, always a fun visit. So I'm glad you had a good trip and you're back safe and you, why don't you, uh, you know, hit the Y this weekend. I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> we'll do it. Obviously, Thank while you were away, uh, an awful lot happened. Um, Federal Reserve cut rates last week and we thought that was going to be the news, right? People were anticipating it and then we had, uh, the Fed cut rates, there was some confusion in the messaging, and then uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and trade uh, negotiator Robert Lighthizer left Beijing without a deal. So that was kind of a one-two punch. And then the very next day, President Trump tweeted uh, a threat re- regarding uh, that 10% tariff threat on the additional $300 billion in mostly consumer-related goods uh, from China. And now we have, uh, you know, the jobs report that was below expectation. So, uh, my goodness, an awful lot happened last week. So why don't we try and talk about these, uh, maybe in that order. Let's talk about, you know, the Fed. Uh, we'll talk about trade, uh, the job situation. Uh, wages were up. And then, uh, as you wrote in the blog and in our weekly market commentary this week, we're talking about August seasonality. The dog days are upon us, and when you think about what the market has been doing, right, 80% of the S&P 500 was above its 50-day moving average. We had put-call ratios uh, very low. We had a VIX, uh, the volatility index, the market's fear gauge uh, was still hovering near lows, and perhaps this market was primed for that 3% or so hit that we took last week. So let's start off. First and foremost, with the Federal Reserve, Ryan, what are your thoughts? Sure, John. So, as we discussed in last week's podcast, and obviously previously, we expected a 25 basis point cut. So, that's what we got. And that was, again, the first cut for interest rates in 10 years since the financial crisis. Now, what caught markets off guard, that came out. But then during the press conference, the quote from Fed Chairman Jerome Powell was, this was a mid-cycle adjustment. 
Market freaked out, saw a really big dip immediately the first five, ten minutes after that, and we had a pretty good sell-off Wednesday afternoon. Did bounce a little bit off the lows. Nonetheless, the market was worried, oh boy, that must mean this is one and done. You know, we're not going to get that second cut that we thought we were going to get September or maybe later in the year. So on the surface, it was expected, but then that little curveball came. And I will say, John, the other thing that caught my attention and our attention, there were two dissenters out of the voting um, Kansas City George and Boston Rosegren also, or both, uh, dissented on the idea of a cut and didn't think it was necessary. So, John, first off, I guess I'll hand it back to you. Um, Volatility is probably here to stay with some of these things going on with the Fed, but do you think we're going to get a second cut, or is this a mid-cycle adjustment like the lingo in the market jumped onto? You know, it's curious. Our own Callie Cox, senior analyst in research, I think used that exact term when she helped Barry Gilbert and I write the weekly economic commentary last week. The Fed stole it from and, us, then you're saying, huh? Yeah. Pardon me? The Fed stole it from us? <laughs> I, perhaps, perhaps. But nonetheless, um, it's a very curious development because, as uh, our listeners know, the Fed's mandate is to keep a lid on inflation, which they've done, and to ensure as full an employment situation as possible, which they have done. Now, unofficial mandates, as we discussed, I don't necessarily, nor do you, uh, our team, we don't like to think about you know, market dynamics affecting the Fed, and they try to dissuade anybody who thinks that, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. But there is a dynamic that the Fed may or may not be willing to acknowledge uh, because it's not part of their mandate, but it's something they absolutely have to consider, and that's the dollar, because the dollar has been strengthening going into this rate cut which is a very, very curious dynamic. Again, we've joked in the past about the U.S. being less absurd than the rest of the world. And this is another example. Uh, even with lower rates, people still want to invest in the U.S. What I think is going to happen is that that dollar and then the trade situation uh, is also going to play into it. So, yes, I think we're going to see – I don't think we're going to see necessarily the 100 basis points that the market would like to see over the course of the next 12 months. But that is still on the table. Uh, but at least for the 19, I think you're going to see one more cut, whether or not it's September or uh, December. I think the data is going to have to take us there. But if you see a weaker than expected jobs report and you see the way the market reacted last week to disappointment from the Fed, as we discussed, right, we were concerned about buy the rumor, sell the news if it was only 25 basis points. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, I think we're going to see at least one more cut this year. And with last week's jobs report coming in a little less than expected, uh, that could very well get set the table for uh, one more cut, likely at the September meeting is what I what I suspect. Yeah, adding to that, so the jobs number, which I know we're going to talk about jobs in a minute, but on Thursday, the ISM manufacturing data came in slightly better than expected, pretty much still expanding above that key 50 level. Nonetheless, it was still the lowest number we've seen since 2016. So manufacturing is kind of giving a green light, if you will, maybe for one more cut. And then inflation, we've talked a lot, I mean, it, Inflation continues to be beneath that 2% level that the Fed has as a benchmark, and inflation continues to be low. So those are two potential green lights, I guess we'll call it, for a little more rate hikes down the road. And, John, one thing that I we've talked about this, I want to bring it to you because I wasn't quite aware of this other part. We've said there's a lot of similarities right now with the mid-'90s, specifically 94, the Fed was hiking rates, and they had their surprise U-turn in the middle of 95. What happened in 94, though, the stock market didn't do so well. It was flat. The economy was strong. The economy got weaker in 95. And then the Fed did the U-turn, 
and the uh, stock market did great. Sounds all like this year, right? Last year, stocks were down, economy was strong, economy's weakening, stock market strong. Here's what I wasn't aware of. In June of 1995, and the early part of 95, we actually had a trade war. And this is the headlines. I Googled it. So, you know, if I Googled it, it's got to be true, right? But I found headlines where the U.S. and Japan were in a potential all-out trade war over autos. Now you see the trade war with China. And, and let's not even get to the yield curve. The yield curve was very flat in 94, 95, then started to steepen a little bit, pretty much stayed flat for several years. As we've said before, we think this yield curve, 210 year to 210 uh, year yield curve, can stay flat potentially for years as well, similar to the mid-90s. But the whole trade war thing with Japan, I wasn't aware of until just recently, another similar scenario with the mid-90s. What do you think? Well, in the mid-90s, you were hitting home runs in Little League Baseball. <laughs> so I, I don't expect you to remember that. But uh, going into that. That's right. Going into, and you were a beast back then, weren't you? Yeah. I, you know, my baseball career, John, in the fourth grade, a kid hit me in the face in an all-star tournament. And I just, I was scared to death of the ball after that. Nonetheless, I, I stuck with basketball and golf. I wasn't any good at those either, but at least I, you know, wasn't afraid of them. <laughs> so a baseball hit you in the face. That, that, that explains a lot. Thank yeah, you for sharing that. That's, I, I'm always scared every time I see a ball. Yeah, anyway, that's enough. About uh -huh. it. I had glasses on too. My glasses broke. Terrence is over laughing at me. It's a true story, Terrence. And I, my career, I had a very promising baseball career. It all ended in the fourth grade. Nonetheless, that's there's other sports. That's because you were in the dugout looking at your charts, right? <laughs> yeah, that's so probably picking my nose or something. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, back to the question on uh, the mid-'80s. Actually, the mid-'80s and the mid-'90s. You know, history may, mm -hmm. may not always repeat. But it does rhyme quite right. a bit when you think about uh, the mid '80s. Uh, I guess it was '84. Yep. No, '80. 80, yeah, '84. The economy, if you will, and the S&P profits outperformed the market. And then the following year, the market was up by about a third. Right. Same thing with '94. Profits and the economy outperformed, and then '94, uh, '95, and then the year later. Uh, the ensuing 12 months, the market was up by about a third again. So, you know, those are prime examples. You know, the, the mid-90s is a better example because of the trade situation with Japan back then. But also uh, remember that in 94, we did not have clarity, press conferences, uh, any statement at all from the Federal Reserve. Uh, it was left to uh, us market seers to try and figure out what the Fed had done when you saw the way uh, the bond market was trading. So it was a very, very uh, uh, nebulous environment trying to figure out uh, what was happening. So what we have seen, though, is when you had Fed rate cuts, when the economy, or more of a mid-cycle type play, when the economy wasn't in recession, uh, very favorable uh, stock market returns, as you've pointed out, over the ensuing 12 months. So I think that's something our investors can tap into history and remain optimistic about in spite of the concerns about trade, because we thought going into the week, we'd only have to worry about the Fed. And now we have to worry about the Fed and trade. And uh, why don't we move over to there? Because trade, clearly a big issue. We've discussed many times, government has four levers they can pull to keep the economy moving forward, whether you look at fiscal policy with taxes, regulation, additional government spending programs, which we've been a beneficiary of for the last couple of years, um, but the fourth one is trade. And our concern is, even with the tax cuts, trade is offsetting that business investment because businesses are concerned about what their supply chains are going to be like, what their logistics are going to be like. And consequently, that's really slowed 
economic activity down relative to the first half of 2018. Because when you get that productivity, as we've discussed many times, when you get business investment, you get improved productivity, which can help elongate the expansion, but also not only sustain the economic expansion, uh, both duration and magnitude, but also can sustain the profit cycle because you don't have margin erosion when workers can make a little more money, but that if they're doing so in a more efficient manner, businesses don't have to worry about margin erosion eating away profits. So it really is a win-win when you see productivity growth. So that's why it's so key to get a clarity on trade because then we can see uh, you know, an elongation, if you will, of this expansion. But yeah, the, the tariffs thus far, consumers are paying those uh, in the form of higher prices and businesses consequently will have to shift production to other areas throughout Southeast Asia, what we've seen thus far, and uh, from China to other Southeast Asian nations. And that obviously takes a while. It can't be done over a 90-day period. So it is more of a longer, drawn-out process. Uh, but, yeah, unfortunately, that's still a, a weight over the market, Ryan. Yeah. You know, John, you mentioned the expansion. So let's put it in perspective. You know, we are a new month now, so we are officially, again, the longest economic cycle of growth in the United States, 121 months, topping the 120 months from the mid-90s. Now, here's the key point, I think. Nominal GDP growth the last 10 years for the U.S., 49%. Compare that with a 76% nominal GDP growth in the mid-90s. Pretty big difference. And looking at the 10 cycles since World War II, the average nominal GDP growth is 49%. So one could say... This is a very long economic cycle, but in terms of nominal GDP growth, it's 49%. It's actually an average cycle, which again could suggest there is still time for this cycle to last. I just want to put that color out there. But John, here's what I thought was interesting. I was looking at what they call list four. And list four is kind of the new things. It's 76 pages. This is kind of how bored I was yesterday, apparently. 76-page report called list four. And these are all the different things that are going to be impacted by the potential tariffs that go in play on September 1st. Right on page one, John, it actually has live asses as potentially tariffs. So just take that where you want. But also things like women's blouses. Um suit track suits and aluminum foil so and you know we've seen some notes that maybe potentially apple's going to be impacted so we're talking about things that are really going to impact the consumer i think much more this round of potential tariffs and really what the consumer felt uh, with the first couple rounds of tariffs which again didn't seem to impact the consumer especially when you look at some of the consumer confidence and retail sales numbers so john if this goes in play like you said it's going to impact the consumer and that could really put a dent in things could it not well, that increases the pain point, right? Because yes. I don't think, I don't know if everyone fully understands who pays for tariffs. Like you, you slap a right. tariff on Chinese goods and everyone thinks that, you know, the, the Chinese are paying it. But actually, we're paying it. The consumer is paying it. And because of that, businesses want to redirect their production. So it's a near-term hit to the U.S., but it's a longer-term hit to the Chinese. And I'm not sure everyone fully embraces that whole idea. But from the standpoint that, you know, the, the 200 or 250 billion, whatever the number is, where we've already had the tariffs on, that is more of a, if you will, a redirection tariff from production from China to ultimately other Southeast Asian nations. But to your point, this additional 300 billion threat of 10% tariffs, that is directly impactful on the consumer. So it is a more immediate hit to the consumer than the previous 
And that, you know, in a presidential election year, uh, that is going to be very impactful. So President Xi is going to be under pressure if production is leaving mainland China. And President Trump clearly will be under pressure if, and all elected officials will be under pressure if consumers are hit with higher inflation. And that's another factor the Fed has to consider, right? Do they want to take rates down 100 basis points like some in the market are projecting if you're going to have wage growth, which improved in the jobs report, as we'll get into shortly, but also, you know, with, with the additional tariff. And, you know, if the dollar does strengthen, that can help minimize that. But nonetheless, there's an awful lot on the table the Fed has to consider. Yeah, you know, maybe I'll sum it up like this. Um, th- this quote was going around yesterday. Best Buy CFO during their conference call was discussing company their company's earnings, and he mentioned how List 3 was already priced in. He said List 4, which is, again, that's the one that can go in play on September 1st, he said wasn't priced in. So I'm going to make an assumption here that you know other companies are quite similar, where this List 4, which could go in play, isn't quite baked in to corporate profits as much as maybe we would like. And that, again, could um, throw a wrench in overall corporate earnings. So, John, any other comments on the trade, or you want to talk about the jobs numbers now? Yeah, I think from trade, once again, something investors are going to need to be patient with. Uh, We love clarity. We've talked all year long about not necessarily a final full-scale deal, but progress on trade can get businesses to invest in productivity again. And businesses invest in productivity, that extends the cycle and sustains margins. So it really is critical. And I think the pain point will be approaching for not only President Trump, but also for President Xi. Right. And hopefully uh, we'll be able to get a deal uh, in short order. Okay. Good stuff there. So, John, the last thing we're going to discuss is the jobs number, which came out Friday morning, came in at 164,000 jobs a month of July. Under the surface, though, it is worth noting that June had a pretty strong revision, although July did miss by a little bit, a little weaker than expected. The 12-month average is still a very healthy 187,000 jobs on average. The other headline we like to talk about is year-over-year wage growth. Came in at a really healthy 3.2%, a little bit better than the month before. So all in all, John, manufacturing, as we talked about, is weak. The Fed uncertainty is there. Trade uncertainty. The consumer seems to be doing pretty good, and that's really because the employment picture is good. This report didn't do too much, I don't think, to shake that up. What's your takeaway on the jobs number? Yeah, well, we uh, we talked about it last week in the podcast, right, on the GDP report. Right. The second quarter GDP came in at 2.1%, and really the benefit to that growth was – attributable to this, the solid U.S. consumer, and the, the weakness on that report was business investment and trade. Mm-hmm, right. So very, very clear, the U.S. consumer continues to carry the global economy, and certainly the domestic economy. The situation is good, the consumer can sustain, but when we look at the jobs report, you, you threw out a good stat. I didn't realize it was that high. So even with this print, the the monthly average in 2019 is one or you said trailing 12 Past is 12 187,000. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I believe the average for 2018 was 220. Yeah. And if we look at that number relative to year to date 2019, I'm just going to do back of the envelope and, and then, you know, guess that that's about 175,000. So we're down about 50 grand a month in jobs, 40 grand a month. Uh, maybe not on a year-over-year basis, but on a calendar 18 and calendar 19 number. So it is something we have to be mindful of. But again, in year 10 of an economic cycle, if you're still printing more than 150,000 jobs a month, that keeps us above water on the uh, population growth side of the calculation as well. So still you know, very much in line with what we've been saying all year, 
The economy might be slowing, but it is still growing relative to 2018's pace. And I think that's so important for investors to keep in mind. Uh, Great points there. John, you mentioned the word calendar. I think we've got about two or three minutes to go, and I'll just mention the calendar. It is the month of August. In the last 10 years, we're actually going to have this chart in today's show notes, but the last 10 years, August, in the S&P 500, has been the worst month of the year. And you think about it, August has been the surprise kind of out of the blue event. Specifically, four years ago, 2019, we had this surprise Chinese currency devaluation, which led to massive disruptions globally, and the first 1,000 Dow point ever. Four years before that, August 2011, what happened? We had the U.S. debt downgrade. So we're into this tricky month historically, out of the blue events seem to happen in August. I mean, even in 1990, Iraq invaded Kuwait. 97, 98, you had the Asian contagion. You had long-term capital management go under August of 98. I mean, whatever reason, it's probably random, I'll admit, but still, people are getting back to school, volumes are low. You can get these big events. You can get a very volatile month, the month of August. So, John, with the S&P around 3,000, our fair value target, what do you think? Is August going to be another surprise month, maybe even some downside volatility? Yeah, thank you, Sunshine, for bringing up all those examples. <laughs> well, you're welcome. History, but <laughs> I think it's something investors need to be mindful of, right? Because, again, yeah, we're at fair value as far as we're concerned on the S&P 500. Uh, I mentioned earlier that 80% of the companies in the index were above their 50-day moving average, which appears to be overbought. Relative strength, put-to-call ratios, you know, we had a variety of technical indicators suggesting yes. uh, fair value as well, if not an overbought condition. So. When you get the perception of disappointment, which can become the reality of disappointment, whether it's the degree to which the Fed cut interest rates, whether it's, you know, another threatening tweet on trade, a slightly below number on ISM manufacturing, a slightly below forecast number on jobs, you know, that's that's the type of thing that can cause the weakness that we saw in the market last week and which could persist over the next couple of weeks. But We want to emphasize, you know, we hope we don't see certainly uh, that random unpredictable event in in August. But nonetheless, we've been on quite a tear for the last several months. And any any short term comeuppance, I think, is a a necessary aspect of the markets, you know, clearly getting into that 3000 area, which we exceeded a couple, you know, a week or so ago to hit the new high. A lot of the gains over the last three to six months were very much bond proxy gains, if you will, real estate, staples, uh, utilities, some of the communication services stocks, they were really leading the index higher on the prospects for lower interest rates. Curiously, the last 10 days before we hit the record, a little over a week ago, we saw a lot of strength in technology, industrial, financials, some of the consumer discretionary stocks. So it was becoming more cyclical as the market peaked which I thought was encouraging, but we, we couldn't hold it, obviously, after the Fed and the trade concerns. So we think any weakness that we're experiencing near term is just that, a typical correction. I don't think we even, I'm not, I'm not sure this thing can go to the 200-day moving average. I don't think we can get a 10% correction because the 200-day, Ryan, is what, 27.75, I think? Yeah, approximately. And, uh, mm-hmm. yes. That would be, what, 6 or 8% off the top? Yeah, right about there. Probably 6% mm-hmm. off the top. So it may not even go that far. Uh, but nonetheless, it's it's a fool's errand trying to predict near-term market impact. But when you look at the U.S. economy growing at about a 2.5% pace in the first half of the year, when profits for the second consecutive quarter are coming in better than expected, and the Federal Reserve appears to be a tailwind, clearly, 
uh, going forward, then I would think any market pullback is just a normal condition as opposed to something uh, abnormal, as we'll use a young Frankenstein reference So to close out. So uh, we're still focusing on the fundamentals, whether looking at trade, the Fed, jobs, August seasonality, recognize that it is August seasonality, and we still see an economy that is in that two to two and a half percent range, profits growing, call it four to six percent over the next 12 months, and a Fed that appears to be a tailwind. So uh, when you look at those fundamentals, even with the trade challenges, we're going to be very, very mindful of those, but uh, still think it's an opportunity to use weakness as uh, a chance to rebalance portfolios and get diversified strategies back in line with their targeted allocation. So any closing comments, Ryan? No, that was great stuff there, John. I appreciate the opportunity this week. Thank you to all of our listeners to LPL Market Signals. We're hitting record number of listens, devices that are downloaded. So if you like this, please follow us on Google Play, iTunes, and Spotify. Um, you know, the more people that listen to it, the more people that give us positive reviews, the more people can listen to us. So we appreciate that. And, John, I'll send it back to you. Thanks, everybody. want to wish you a good week. Hang in there in this near-term volatility, and we'll be on next week to provide you with some more insight to the current and longer-term environment. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank credit union or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.